no matter what barriers come our way, Black women, we are proving every single day that we are unstoppable and groundbreaking. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jaren Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director here at The Grio. And this week, we're asking, Dear Culture, would this country be anything without Black women? Spoiler alert, nah. let's talk about what is on our minds. So the Grammy Awards was this past weekend, and I can't help but just love on Queen B, Beyonce, Giselle, Knowles Carter for making history with her 28th Grammy Award, uh, becoming the most awarded singer, male or female of all time. The only other person who has more Grammys than Beyonce right now is George... Salty, and he has 31 Grammy Awards. He's a composer. I was, so I'm one of those Beyonce fans who were, who was a fan before it was cool to be a Beyonce fan. I was in, in like middle school arguing with people on the bus about how much, how talented Beyonce was. And people will always tell me, oh, Beyonce, she, she sings too much. You know, oh, she ain't that pretty. Like, there was a lot of Beyonce hate back in the day. And I remember like, like always every year, whenever the Grammys would come up and Beyonce was up for an award, I would be like, all right, how many awards does she have now? I would like be, I would be tallying Beyonce's awards because I knew this day would come. And so when it happened, I was just so thrilled and so happy. Beyonce just gives you um, a blueprint for just always pursuing excellence and always outdoing yourself because really the only person in Beyonce's lane is Beyonce. Like she's, she's her own competition. And to see her constantly outdo herself and to achieve this historic moment by being herself. She, she's always been pro-Black, pro-woman um, in her, throughout her career. And, uh, and despite, despite being ignored by the Grammys in many instances, because while Beyonce has a lot of Grammys, she hasn't won those big categories except for like Song of the Year, which was uh, Single Ladies, I believe. I think it's important to celebrate Beyonce, but it's also important to hold uh, the Academy, the Recording Academy accountable because we've seen Beyonce be snubbed time and time again. And she is the most prolific, most talented, most dynamic artist alive today. And uh, this is 28 is, is, she has 28 Grammys, but there's more, there's more in her. I think Beyonce probably will have 40, 40 Grammys at least by the time she leaves this earth. Uh, <laughs> but it's also important to acknowledge that she's tied with Quincy Jones who also has 28 Grammys. And I'm just so proud of her. I'm proud not only for her, but just for the culture. Yeah. Uh, well, you already know I'm a proud Hive member. So, yes, I'm, I'm so proud of her. Um, I'm proud of her baby. You know, of course, Jaren, you have to be the one who would just bring positivity and light and just wonderful things. Um, me, this is about to be a petty moment, right? So this past weekend, a former coworker of mine sent me a screenshot of a former supervisor of the both of us. So this former coworker is a white girl. That's the homie, you know, I white white women, y'all know I don't really go up for y'all, but I, I keep a few in my circle who are who are cool and heavily vetted, but fine. Um, and we used to work at a place and had a supervisor uh, who was also a black woman. At the time on the team, we were the only two black people in the entire like social team of maybe like 20 people. And so when she was brought on, I was like, yes, 
There's another one of us here. I'm so happy. Somebody is going to see me, that someone's going to get it. All of the things that I'm like really and truly dealing with while I'm here on this team. Like, yeah, I could tell my white home girl, but she doesn't really get it, get it. You know what I mean? I'll just read a snippet of, of what this post was that she posted to her page. And she alludes to a boss basically telling her that she's doing better in this industry than most people would expect from someone that looks like her. And then she's like, I just remembered a boss who told me this to my face. He meant this as a compliment, which in and of itself is insane. Sitting here eating lunch, that, that memory just floated up from the pit of my stomach, the place that I tried to hide it the minute I heard it. This is how trauma and survival work. You bury it deep, deep down. You put on a smile. You walk into meetings when you're the only one, uh, when you're the only person who looks like you. You awkwardly laugh at racist and sexist jokes. You try not to combust when you're looked at as the voice of all Black people when the topic comes to Black consumers. So, you know, because we're not a monolith. And she goes on and on. And why this was so very interesting for her to put out there is because, as my white homegirl reminded me, was... Remember when you told her that you were having like pretty much the exact same type of experiences? Like there was a lot of microaggression happening internally on the team, specifically from the big boss being a, a black woman, especially a young black woman and trying to get your foot in an industry. You tend to notice that certain things that you might get called out for or reprimanded for, but your white colleagues, especially white men are just free to do whatever it is the hell that they want, right? And there were several times where I called that out to the big boss of like, you know, this is like jacked up, right? And then he would try and wax poetic about why this white man is getting a pass for something as opposed to me. Um, and then at the time, I had two clients who were very blatant in their racism. And when I say that, I mean, even like email correspondence and, and phone calls, there's a certain way in which I like to be communicated with and in a professional manner. And it was not that. It was always like a very belittling kind of conversation and just very, just very disrespectful. And this supervisor who I went to, a fellow Black woman who I went to with my complaints, who I went to with my concerns, told me that I was probably reading too much into it. Told me that, you know, essentially to toughen up and, you know, it's probably, you're, you're, I'm being overly sensitive. And to that, I say, well, F her, one. Two, um, I find it very interesting that that post that she put up came apparently like at the height of the summer last year, right around the George Floyd, you know, protests and, and things of that nature. And I'm like, did it, did it take George Floyd to remind you that you were Black? Someone said something to me that I actually had to take into consideration, and that was, you know, we as Black women face so much trauma in the workplace that when I was telling her stuff, she probably had to do like, like what she said in her post of kind of like bury it down deep, right? And basically keep on keeping on with the same racist BS that Black women, especially in professional situations, have to go through. With that being said, so I, I fully intended to drag the hell out of her in this segment, but I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to be a little bit more sisterly. And then I will say for our Black women listeners of this show, if you have other young Black women who report to you, who are working with you, for you, whatever, I think that you have a responsibility to your fellow sister to 
be a place of refuge for them, as well as almost a place of validation. We know what we deal with and you are wrong, flat out wrong. If you go to another black woman and basically tell her, oh girl, you're tripping. I tell people the two worst bosses that I've ever had in my life, unfortunately, were black women. It can cause almost a PTSD. Like there, that it is trauma. Like I'm so grateful to have, you know, Natasha and Todd and all this other stuff. But I I remember that. I remember what that feels like. And it it's gross. So don't be trash, sisters. Okay. We all we got at the end of the day. So that's it. Amen. Amen. We have to support each other and mm-hmm. have to support women because it's a tough world out there. And we, as we see, as we, as we've seen in 2021 and 2020, now's not the time to be divided. We got to support each other for sure. And here at the Grio, we are still celebrating Women's History Month and the fact that Black women are just out here thriving. Angela Davis once said that when Black women win victories, it is a boost for virtually every segment of society. While that statement is true, if we're being honest, Black women still don't get their proper recognition. But here at Dear Culture, we are changing that narrative and we are giving Black femmes their rightful crowns for carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and doing it with grace. So let's get into it. Uh, the biggest topic that has been on everyone's mind, um, and it's kind of been playing out for maybe the last two weeks now, uh, has been Meghan Markle's revealing sit down with Oprah about the racism, microaggressions, classism, all of the crap that she experienced uh, for, you know, during her time as a, I guess, official senior member of the royal family, um, as she was fulfilling her public duties hateful things that she experienced from the family itself, as well as from the British press. I think, G, I'm going to let you summarize a little bit about who Pierce Morgan is and, you know, exactly why he's been just a festering boil on (laughs) all things uh, Meghan Markle. Yeah. So for those who might not know who Pierce Morgan is, he is a British, uh, I don't want to call him a journalist. He's a British uh, media personality. And for background, Piers Morgan publicly talked about allegedly going on some type of date with Meghan Markle in his head. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he was more so flirting with Meghan Markle and uh, she did not return uh, that interest. And shortly thereafter, she began dating Prince Harry. Mm -hmm. And so since Meghan Markle's um, rise in, uh, in, in, in the press, being a part of the royal family, Piers Morgan has been a leader in the British press and the tabloids and just talking about salacious uh, things about Meghan Markle, whether it's her family. Mm-hmm. And it really came to a head after the airing of this Oprah interview uh, because he was called out on national TV by uh, a black uh, activist in the UK. Um, he's gotten into really heated debates about this Oprah interview because the world all of a sudden is divided between whether they're team royal family or team Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and whether or not her, her grievances and her sharing the things that she endured as a black woman in the royal family, including um, them telling her that her, her son was not going to have uh, security protection, talking about whether or not her son's, um, whether or not their son's gonna have a dark skin tone because he's a biracial child. But more importantly, also the fact that Meghan Markle struggled with suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. during, during this time 
uh, in the royal family uh, before she and Harry stepped back from their senior roles and duties in the royal family. Before this Meghan Markle thing, Pierce Morgan has said racist things about Black Lives Matter, about Beyonce. He has a long history. If you Google Pierce Morgan, you only see negative things, one, but you will likely see a lot of racist, sexist um, comments. And so he is now no longer, he, he left his job. Uh, he was probably, he was probably low-key fired, to be honest. Uh, but they allowed the public, they allowed him to publicly uh, present like he left uh, mm -hmm. in the midst of all this controversy. But I know, Shauna, knowing you, I know you have a lot of thoughts about <laughs> everything that went down. Yeah. So again, you know, I think first off, we need to acknowledge a couple of things. So there are a lot of people who would like to say, you know, well, Pierce Morgan is just speaking his mind and, you know, that has nothing to do with race. Maybe he just doesn't like Meghan Markle. Here's where there's, here's where that dog just won't hunt for me, right? While, yes, I do believe that the, 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 what's really at the root of it, um, you know, is definitely has to deal with uh, patriarchy as well as just Pierce Morgan is just a misogynist. He's a sexist pig just to begin with. Right. So the fact that this woman in whatever way or whatever relationship that he thought was brewing, that she cut him off and essentially like just ceased all communication with him. You know, that is what is at the, the, the heart of the matter. Absolutely not. At the end of the day, the fact that the fact that she is a black woman and I'm really sick and tired of people acting as though because she has, you know, a white father, because she's fair skinned, that that has somehow diluted her blackness. No. And which really, you know, what? let's pull over and park here for a second. Black people, you do not get to tell other black people that they are not black simply because they are of mixed race. Now, if they don't want to claim it, that's on them. But I think we keep getting, we keep finding ourselves in this really disgusting and, and backwards, <laughs> this really backwards uh, realm where we're like, oh yeah, well, you know, well, you see how light-skinned she is. She's passing. So she ain't, she ain't, she ain't one of us. At the end of the day, we saw Meghan Markle got reminded of her blackness the moment that she entered that royal family. The moment that the British press decided that they no longer bangs with her like that. And the fact that, again, she said that all of those things, people keep thinking that micro that microaggressions are just one of those things that keep like, you know, it's just something that can just brush off. Casual racism is a term that I keep hearing. BS. It is pervasive. It is invasive. It is. Uh, it's tiring. And I can see her pain. I feel that. I know what that feels like where every single day you're just like, is the, and where you're, where you're forced to now have to think, was that racist? Am I tripping? It, it, this doesn't feel right. But was it, you know what I mean? Where we are left to now question what these damn colonizers, these inbred colonizers, you know, what their, what their, their, their thoughts, that what's really in their heart. Screw all that. At the end of the day, it's racist and it's racism. Now, since we're talking about Pierce Morgan, we also have to talk about a one particular red-haired, thin-lipped, just, ooh, you know I don't like her. Sharon Osbourne, come on over to the table so I can smack you. Now, Sharon Osbourne, you know, has gone on and said, oh, well, 
again, she was defending Pierce Morgan. She was like, you know, and, and, and you're just speaking your mind. And then took to the talk, took what, while she is surrounded by her two black co-hosts, Elaine Welteroth and Cheryl Underwood, sis, I, sisters, I see y'all. I love y'all. I, I peep it. And I commend the both of you for your reactions. And Sharon Osbourne sat up there in her lily white pale self is going to sit up there and tell Cheryl Underwood, don't cry. And if anyone has the right to cry, it's I who have a right to cry because I feel like I'm just being put in the electric chair because I have a friend that people say is racist. And so I'm being called a racist. Yes, you big dummy. That's what happens when you have racist friends. How are you cool with your friend being a racist? Let me tell you something. The same way how if I met a man and your homeboys are rapists, your homeboys are women beaters. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you funny in the light, homeboy. The same way, Sharon Osbourne. And this is why Sharon Osbourne had to get thoroughly dragged uh, by me uh, in, a, in a wonderful op-ed that I penned uh, called Pierce Morgan and Sharon Osbourne, a masterclass in racism. Now, let's bring it back to Black people, right? Elaine Walteroth, uh, she, I believe per page six, just this week, she went and complained to HR at the talk over Sharon Osbourne's recent exchange with Cheryl Underwood, because it was just so insensitive and gross and, and hostile and ill. It was ill. It was ill. That's the best way that I can put it. And it's one of those things where I, I saw, yes, we, yes, um, I will always commend Cheryl for how she had to handle it in that way. I think she was so taken aback and she realized she kind of had to hold her mule because if she had, if she had responded in the same energy that Sharon Osbourne did, it would have been a problem. And we would have been talking about Cheryl Underwood and we would have had to come to defend Cheryl Underwood. I'm glad that it didn't go that way. But if you take a moment and really look at Elaine Welteroth's face during that exchange, you see Elaine disengaged. Elaine just started to look straight ahead. And she's like, you know what? Nope, <laughs> this is not for me. And so I, I commend Elaine Welteroth for basically calling a thing a thing. Um, it I, I, Sharon Osborne better lose her job. That's all I got to say. She better lose her job. I don't want to see race, race sensitivity classes and everything else. Absolutely not. It was wrong. It was out of pocket. And had a black woman said half of the things that Sharon Osbourne did and, 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 or Sharon Osbourne said, had she reacted in even a smidgen of the hysterical way in which Sharon Osbourne reacted, that black woman would be a thing of the past. And I don't understand why we have to watch whiteness work yet again. And everything is protecting Sharon Osbourne. Even that little fake Twitter iOS press release apology that she put out there was trash. She was still scapegoating black people. She's still making herself the victim. She's still censoring herself. It was garbage, but sisters, we're used to it. <laughs> I also want to quickly highlight, you know, this thread I'm seeing in what's happening at the talk uh, with, with Cheryl and Elaine and what, ha what happened to Megan, because while Megan talked about her, her personal life, it was her job. It was her job to, as a part, as a member of the royal family. And it shows the ways in which white supremacy creates so much violence for black women when they're simply trying to do their jobs. Mm -hmm. Megan was trying to be, to try to show a good face and be a, a good humanitarian, like, like they expect of a royal. Mm -hmm. um, she was met with racism and sexism. 
Cheryl and Elaine, I think, was not protected by CBS and by the talk by setting up that scene because the, the backstory is that allegedly Sharon Osbourne didn't know that question was going to be asked to her. And they knew that that was going to create this conflict between Cheryl and Sharon, who are friends or were friends before that moment. Mm. And, and, and just seeing the, the, the uncomfortability on Elaine's face and seeing Cheryl having to, as a black woman, know that she has to hold back because if she responds to Sharon in the same manner, it becomes an angry black woman situation and the headlines would have been a lot, a very different story. And most of the, all the mm-hmm. time, black people are faced, faced with, white, uh, with white fragility. They know that they have to respond a certain way because of the historic stereotypes that are placed on black women in particular. And it, is, it was very frustrating to see. And I think that there needs to be accountability. CBS is having a, an, an investigation into what led up to that. But really the investigation is like, is a, the investigation should be of themselves and not, you know, what is there to investigate? You know, you were being sensational, mm-hmm. uh, put black women in, at harm. And now you have Elaine who poor Elaine just started her job at the talk. <laughs> She's sitting there like, what the hell, am, what the hell am I going through here? Well, I have to sit through this. And then poor Cheryl has to sit there and just take Sharon's uh, white fragility and her, you know, I'm not racist rant. Um, and it really just speaks to this larger conversation about black women not being protected and black women always being on the receiving end of psychological, emotional and spiritual and physical violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to get to the root of these issues because white supremacy is rearing its ugly head. And it's, and it's why we see such a reaction from a Piers Morgan or in, throughout the entire globe, really. And these reactions that we're seeing from Sharon Osbourne. But I want to transition to talk about the Me Too movement because you know we're talking about honoring Black women and and their contributions uh, to to equity and justice. And I want to shout out Tarana Burke, who is the founder of the Me Too movement, because she recently wrote an op-ed in People magazine um, talking about the ways in which Black women have been excluded from the the Me Too Times Up movement. So even though she created this hashtag. Me Too in 2006, white women in Hollywood kind of co-opted Me Too and it became a a national and global international movement. But in her piece in uh, in People, Toronto Burke mentions that over these past couple of years in in the Me Too movement, black women's experiences and their, their experiences of violence and harassment have been largely ignored. So she started a new campaign called We as we are, we as ourselves. And she said that she launched it specifically at the end of Black History Month and the beginning of Women's History Month to highlight the intersectionality that Black women have to endure having both facing racism and sexism. And, you know, I, we talk about sexual assault and abuse a lot, you know, here at, at, at Dear Culture, but by and large, we see that when stories of, of abuse and sexual violence come out about black women, it, it, it usually is ignored. Look at the R. Kelly situation. We saw the documentary R. Kelly and, and how so much they weren't believed. Um, in her piece, in, in her op-ed, Toronto Burke mentioned that when the Harvey Weinstein um, scandal happened, he never spoke out until Lupita Nyong'o mentioned her experience as a black woman being sexually harassed by Harvey Weinstein. So it, makes, it, it really gets to the root of why is it that he never spoke out when 
countless white women in Hollywood said he did this to me. Well, he only spoke out when the black woman, when the black actress in Hollywood decided to also tell her story. And I can only imagine, I'm not a black woman, I say this a lot on this show, but, uh, but I'm not a black woman, but I can only imagine what it feels like to not have your experience be taken seriously or be heard. And so whether you're a Meghan Markle and your story is not being believed, or whether you are um, uh, Lucita Nyong'o, we're seeing this thread of black women not being heard, not being valued, not being taken seriously. Um, and I think the Me Too movement and the Times Up movement that came out of the Me Too movement really highlights this disparity between black women and white women as it relates to sexual violence. Uh, such great points, Jane. Um, I think for me, you know, you're kind of mentioned like just even the idea of black women not being believed. You don't even realize that that is racist in and of itself, right? When you are discounting someone else's experiences, when you're saying that they're lying, that is, especially if it's a white person, that, <laughs> towards a black person, that is racist in and of itself. Um, I think just the idea of, you know, like you said, like this whitewashing of these movements, this is why I don't call myself a feminist, right? Because I have discovered pretty well, not even discovered. It has been very obvious to me for a very long time that feminism, that speaking up for, for women oftentimes does not include black women. Oftentimes, and when I say black women, I'm talking about our, our trans sisters. I'm talking about, you know, cis sisters, all of that. That intersectionality often is completely ignored. Um, and so watching things like the Me Too movement and Time's Up kind of being this, oh yeah, this is white women coming <laughs> coming to the rescue has been very, very baffling, especially considering that it's a black woman that started this stuff. You know, like it's, it's, it, it's very, very, very strange. Um, but I mean, that is why it's one of those things, like I, I can't call myself a feminist. I am a womanist, I am a black woman who has feminist ideals, yes, but they are about womanism, where that intersection can thrive. You know, whether or not if you're talking about just your workplace, if you're talking about just overall social interactions, Black women who have to balance motherhood, family obligations, you know, it's still having to be a, a wife and all of these things that, yo, we're tired, G. Like... <laughs> We are so tired. I, I I have no other words to efficiently verbalize that, how exhausting it is to be a Black woman. Like, I, I, matter of fact, I told my brother this once of, you know how tired you are being a Black man, where you have to think of all of the terrible things that you have to deal with in terms of police brutality, in terms of racism, in terms of, you know, just all of these things. I said, now think of that. And then like times that by like a thousand, I don't want to play the struggle Olympics. It's not fun. But if we want to be real, <laughs> times it by a thousand, because not only are we dealing with racism, we're also dealing with sexism. We have to also deal with just abuse from, and I mean, from all of the avenues, all of them. So we get it from white people. We get it from black people. It's, it's insane. It's tiring. And Honestly, my sisters, I love y'all. That's all I got to say. <laughs> 
So, I mean, ultimately, I think no matter what barriers come our way, Black women, we are proving every single day that we are unstoppable and groundbreaking. So let's love on our fellow sisters as we understand the very specific light that Black women experience both internally and externally. This past Sunday was the 2021 Grammy Awards, and we couldn't let this episode go without bringing in our brilliant entertainment director, Courtney Wills, to break down her take on the award ceremony. But before we get into that, I want to also mention that Courtney has a new podcast called Acting Up, and she'll be talking more about the Grammy Awards, but she was gracious enough to join us here on Dear Culture to give us a little bit of what's on her mind. Courtney, welcome again to Dear Culture. Always happy to have you. Let us, tell us what, what's on your mind. What was your favorite moment in the, at the Grammy Awards, your favorite highlights? Grammys, I think I'm still thinking about what a crazy night it was on Sunday. We saw some history being made, of course, by the queen, Beyonce. We saw a couple of disappointments, um, especially when it comes to some of the black nominees. And we saw some pretty shocking performances, I would say. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's just jump right into the, the shocking performances <laughs> because Courtney, you and I talked about this a little bit um, offline, <laughs> off the show. <laughs> what did you think about WAP, huh? Mm. <laughs> so, you know, at the risk of starting an all out war with Shauna over my reaction to Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's epic WAP, WAP performance at the Grammys, I think it was too much for 6.30 p.m., on CBS. I love Cardi B and Meg as much as the next person. I think they are fantastic. I love the song. Didn't necessarily need to see it in mixed companies at an award show that is billed as a family show. Every year at the Grammys, it's a time where I get together with my family. This year, my daughter was front and center waiting to see Beyonce win big and make history. And when I tell you, I have never moved as fast as I moved when I jumped up to pause the television, uh, you know, when, when those two beauties started facing each other and grinding quite suggestively, it was too much for my five-year-old and probably a lot of five-year-olds around the country. Okay, now, arguably, I don't have children, right? And I'm sure that if I did, my thoughts would probably be very, very different. However, I loved it. You know, I love to see hope stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to watch my language today. You know, you know, it's, listen, thought and bopping is freedom and power with it. Um, I was so confused initially when you said it. I was like, what is she talking about? Like I had to go run it back because I don't even know how I missed it. It, I, it just came across as like, oh, it's just another little dance move. And then they flipped and, you know, it is what it is. But there was definitely like, a, a, I believe the term is tripping. <laughs> I believe that's the term. Uh, but yes, there was that moment. And I said, oh, okay. Yes, I can see how this could be a little extra um but yeah. the choreography i mean look we know what we're gonna get we thought we knew what we were gonna get when we see a performance coming from cardi b and megan the stallion of course it was going to be sexy of course it was going to be racy i think that this performance crossed the line from sexy and racy to truly at the very least being adult you know for adults and the grammys is not 
the MTV Awards. It's not on at 10 o'clock. You know, like I said, it started at 5 p.m. here on the West Coast, and it is billed as a family show. It's a time where so many music fans are exposed to other genres that they may never see if they didn't watch uh, the Grammys. And for so many people, not necessarily, you know, the hip hop fans and the pop fans, but think about middle America. Think about the elderly people who come in to, to find out who won in the, you know, bluegrass category. And they're like, oh, cool. Let's see what the kids are doing. And then, you know, they're scissoring on TV. It was a lot for me. And, you know, a perfect example is I love P Valley. I think it's a great show. I don't want to watch it with my dad. Mm-hmm. Are we now tiptoeing into like respectability politics? You know, it's one of those, I don't really know. Um, but I'm, I'm a person who wholeheartedly enjoys raunchy lewdness <laughs> on a regular basis. I'm not arguing that they shouldn't sing that song, that they shouldn't have made the video, that they shouldn't do performances like that. I'm arguing that it was the wrong platform. And again, I think it was a little bit too much. It wasn't even cable. It's channel two. Like everybody gets that right along with PBS. So (laughs) what do you think, Jean? I I definitely feel Courtney because I'm not a parent, but if I was a parent, that's a real concern having children watch uh, sexually suggestive things. But as a, as, a, as a fan, as a viewer, I was really kind of proud to see Megan performing and showing her sexuality because for so long, the Grammys wasn't a platform for Black women in that way, mm-hmm. um, or for hip hop for that matter. And I think that we're still, this is very new, I think, for, for entertainment to see uh, people uh, twerking mm-hmm. on TV and that be acceptable and that be okay. And I think that, um, it's, it's, it's tricky when you have kids involved, but like Cardi B and so many of them always say, I'm not making music for children. Mm-hmm. And so what does, the Grammy, what does the Grammys or any award show do moving forward when artists are, there, are who they are and they make music for adults, but they are on programs where children may be watching? And I guess there's really no really easy answer to that. There is, there's no resolve really other than what Courtney did, which is pause it or... Or like do what my parents did growing up, hide, close their eyes so they, they can't see or tell them to go to the other room and then maybe invite them back into the room. Maybe that's just the best way to, to handle it. Once I saw that stripper stiletto, I already knew what time it was. There was a pole involved. I, I said, and then you see like Meg and, and, and Cardi on that like bed. I said, oh, okay. I see what time we are in. As much as I love Cardi and I do, that outfit that she had on was very sexy, but it looked like it hindered her a bit. Like her, her dance moves looked a little, eh, a little, little lukewarm. She was a little restricted, I think. I think it was a little restricting uh, as far as the outfit. Yeah, and people were were speculating. <laughs> you know, it was like, is Cardi is Cardi pregnant? Because now, and I I hate when stuff like that happens because then it's like. Here we are scrutinizing another woman's body. Maybe she just had some Chipotle before she came on the, on, on stage. We don't know. You don't mind your business. Maybe the girl is having a bloat day. Who knows? Megan, I expected her to get up there and twerk her face off. I did not have any qualms about my daughter seeing, you know, the dance moves of the day. I think the bed was a little far. And again, I think the... 
the visuals of what did you call it? What did you call it? Trimming? I called it scissoring, but it was just like a lot more than I was prepared to explain um, to my daughter, to my father, to his mother-in-law who was watching it, Pearl's Clutch, you know, I mean, he was on my phone within seconds, like, what are you people doing? And I'm like, dad, I do not book the Grammys. I have nothing to do with this. Um, you know, and that's kind of the other question is what did the Grammys expect? The truth is, I think they expected exactly this. They wanted the controversy. They wanted the drama. So when we talk about making strides, when we talk about making space for black women, I think there's a fine line between making space for black women and setting them up for criticism like this. They easily could have chosen different songs or a different way of, uh, you know, putting forward those visuals that was just as exciting and just as compelling and wouldn't necessarily spawn the backlash. I mean, there are full organizations calling for everyone involves heads as a result of this. And now we're back to talking about respectability when we should be celebrating that these two women were given time on the Grammy stage to begin with. Mm-hmm. All I know is my mama asked, my mama said, what does WAP mean? And I said, <laughs> worship and praise, girl. That's what it means, worship and praise. <laughs> well, I was gonna say WAP wasn't only the only big moment of the night. Um, there were several moments that I think were so impactful uh, Mickey Guyton didn't win in the country category that she was nominated in, but she still made history for being the first black woman nominated for a solo country award. And I thought that her performance was beautiful. She looked beautiful. She sounded great. And a lot of people who didn't necessarily know about her single black like me certainly Googled it and have downloaded it and are, uh, you know, being opened up to the talent that this woman has. Um, I also love seeing Brittany Howard performing um, with Chris Martin of Coldplay. Her voice just brings the house down every single time. And I loved Tamika's cameo uh, during that performance. It was incredibly powerful. So funny enough, uh, and I know, gee, we've covered this um, on the Grill site. There's definitely been some criticism uh, that's been kind of thrown to Mika's way. And really, I think any Black activist uh, or you know, people who are seen as faces of the movement, because it, arguably, you know, the issue is now is like, you are not the one who lost a child, a father, a son, a daughter, a, you know, a mom or anything like that. And it feels like commodification of Black trauma. What do you think about that? I think that that is a really loaded subject. And I'm glad you brought it up. I actually just spoke to Susan Lurie Parks, who wrote The United States versus Billie Holiday. And she helms the upcoming Nat Geo anthology series, Genius Aretha. And she spoke about exactly that. And what she said was, instead of blaming the truth tellers, instead of calling people ambulance chasers and saying that they're promoting trauma porn, why aren't we looking at the cause of that trauma? Um, Why are we punishing the people trying to shed light by telling stories of the trauma constantly inflicted on us? Um, And why are we criticizing their reactions instead of the real culprits? And I thought that was a really powerful point. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. Definitely very true. I think that sometimes we can wade in those waters where we divide, we, we divide and conquer versus support and solidarity. And, you know, this movement only works if we work together. So I, 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 I understand why some of the parents like like Samaria Rice might be frustrated that when they see 
these um, activists profiting or making money, becoming famous from the movement, and they look at their lives and maybe they're like, my life hasn't changed. You know, I'm not, they're not in the spotlight. And so it's tricky. And I, I think that Tamika Mar Mallory is, um, she is, she's in the fight and she, she has been successful in her activism. And also she's not, she, while some people have called her a grifter, a clout chaser, she's been doing this work since she was a kid. You know, her father is an activist, so she comes from that world. Um, I think we need to have a little bit more grace and understanding when it comes to that. But, but we, all, we definitely are praying for all the families involved in the Black Lives Matter movement who lost their children, their sons, their daughters to, to police violence, to gun violence. Um, but Courtney, thank you so much for your insight. I'm happy that you and your family got through the WAP performance intact. <laughs> Barely. I mean, thankfully, Beyonce was there to save the day. Can you imagine if she hadn't have showed up? I mean, I can't imagine what my reflection of these Grammys would have been if we didn't have Beyonce to celebrate, if we didn't get to see her in all of her glory, if we didn't get to see Meg fangirl out right there on the stage and just remind us all that these people are human no matter how fast or how high they soar they are still human they are still so grateful to be there and I thought that it was really great that we finally saw Beyonce get the Grammy glory that she deserves. Yeah and I think what's one of the things that I loved the most was just watching uh, Beyonce love up on Meg as much as she did like can you imagine having your idol look at you the way that B was looking at Meg oh my gosh it was it's just so sweet so in the spirit of loving up on your good sis uh, definitely for our dear culture fan please make sure that you uh, like subscribe go search for it uh, Courtney's new podcast acting up uh, they are um, I believe we're gonna be on episode two this week right Court yes so, you know, listen, I'm trying to tell y'all, I'm trying to prepare you in advance, okay? Courtney is out here in these Hollywood streets. She knows people, people know her, and there will be some big names, and these are going to be some exclusive things happening. You will want to tune in. Don't come acting like we didn't tell you, all right? Acting Up Podcast. And also, make sure that you follow them on Instagram at actingup.pod. All right. Bye, Courtney. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks, Jaren. Bye, guys. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Dr. Patty's Dental Boutique and Spa. Dr. April Patterson, a.k.a. Dr. Patty, is a Black cosmetic dentist who owns Dr. Patty's Dental Boutique and Spa in South Florida. Patterson's practice is unlike any other because it focuses on cosmetics, sedation, orthodontics, and healthy lifestyle and wellness. The dental boutique is comfort conscious and anxiety free by offering multiple types of sedation services and amenities such as complimentary hot towel service, temple massage therapy, wine and coffee bar, paraffin treatments, music and movie selections, along with concierge options and alternative operating hours. Visit their website at drpattydental.com. That's D-R-P-A-T-T-Y-D-E-N-T-A-L.com. The Grio has published a list of 50 plus Black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like your business to be featured, email us at info at That's G-R-I-O dot com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know.
And of course, please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcasts at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture Podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Blue Toulouse and co-produced by Sudis Sassan, Brenda Alexander, and Antonio Thompson.